Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast, where your host, Jude Pierre, MD, also known as Coach JPMD, discusses medical practice topics that will guide you through the maze that is the business of medicine and teach you how to increase profits and help populations live long. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to listen and be transformed. Now, here's your host, Coach JPMD. So welcome to the Practice of Possible podcast uh, with your host, Coach JPMD. That's me. And today we're here with Jamie Schreier, a PT, physical therapist, business owner, coach, dad, husband. I, I just found out that he's a tennis player and a golfer as well, right? Yeah, a little, a little golf, a little yeah. basketball. You know, I just love, I just love being uh, outside playing sports. Cool. So uh, just want to remind everyone to, you know, We've been practicing Impossible for a while, and uh, in order for us to get the word out, we want you to share the podcast with your friends, leave a review, let us know what you're thinking about, what you're wanting to hear. Um, and that's just really how it's helpful for me to to get uh, the right guests in line and uh, right topics. So um, today we talked to, uh, Jay- we're going to have a discussion with Jamie Schreier, who's a physical therapist uh, based in Maryland, in the Maryland area. And uh, he, we came across each other online, and uh, I found that his story in helping physical therapists in their businesses really paralleled a lot of the things that uh, physicians go through. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to hear his story, how he coaches his uh, clients and uh, his practices to practice impossible, right? Uh, he even has a, uh, a course, I think, called uh, Practice Freedom University or Practice Freedom U. Uh, freedom you. And uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. And uh, so tell me, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned I'm a physical therapist by, by trade. I, I haven't actually uh, treated anybody in, man, so many years. So you probably don't want me touching you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I got in, I got in, I got in the business like uh, most people do. I just had this passion, desire to kind of do my own thing bounced around a little bit beforehand. I was like, you know, I just think healthcare needs to be delivered in a certain way. So I went in the business, you know, bright eyed, like, let's do this, ready to go. And uh, in the beginning, it was great. You know, I was working with my wife. She was kind of my front desk. I was the doctor in the back. And um, a, a few years into it, you know what, that, that honeymoon period um, wasn't so fun anymore. Uh, we started hiring people. Insurance started denying. Uh, it was more and more difficult to get people to actually pay their copays and deductibles. And there was just always something going on. I had to, you know, keep my smile and keep focusing on taking care of our patients. But but the administrative burden just got more and more, and it just completely burned me out. And then during that time, uh, there was a freak accident, and uh, there was a fire, and my entire place burned out. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm sitting there, uh, I was initially excited cause I was like, good, no work on Monday. I was like, it was almost like a, it was like a, um, a snow day. Uh, when I, when I heard on Sunday, like, uh, Jamie, uh, I think your building's on fire. And I went, really? All right, good. I'm not working tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it was. Um, how, how much uh, I just wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. So I had a choice to make, um, either just, just get out of it work for someone else, just get out of the profession, which I really contemplated, mm-hmm. or um, just kind of figure out what the heck I'm doing. So I decided to invest in myself and people and coaches and programs to actually learn the business of physical therapy, the business of healthcare. 
So fast forward nine years after that time, in um, in 2004 and in 2013, I actually removed myself from the day to day. I chose not to treat patients. I hired I had a team to do that. Um, I had systems in place, organization in place, financials in place, and I actually played the owner role, the role I've always wanted to play. And um, I shared my story on um, like a webinar or something. And a couple of people reached out to me and said, hey, can you help me do it? And uh, one thing led to another. I was in the coaching business. So fast forward 10 years later, uh, I'm now uh, a, a business coach and I coach uh, healthcare uh, business owners, uh, primarily in the physical therapy, pediatrics, mental health fields. Uh-huh. And um, I love it. And I'm just trying to impact them and help them uh, achieve what we call practice freedom which is actually having control over your time, your income and creating the kind of life that you want. So, so that's so, the story, man. So you, so the place burned down and I have to ask you this, did you have insurance? You learn a lot about what you have and don't have. So my cousin was my insurance agent nationwide and I did not have, I did have insurance, but it was nowhere near to cover me what I needed. Wow. And when I asked him about it, he goes, well, who would have thought your place would have burned out? Oh my gosh. And I just kind of laughed it off and I said, So you're so, right. So you went, didn't have adequate insurance, I guess. And so you could have gone the different route. What made you stay in the physical therapy world? Because it sounds like you you stayed in the world and um yeah. you had a job somewhere or how did this that- happened in October, you know, in the fall of October, and I didn't reopen until the end of February, beginning so, of March. Okay, so you so didn't I reopen. Yeah, I had a lot of time to think about things Okay, and um, just some deep soul searching. And, and I realized I kind of looked in the mirror and said, you know, your ego says you think you can run a business, but there is nothing in your training uh-huh. that says you can run a successful business. You're really good at what you do. I mean, this is me talking to myself. I'm really good at what I do. I'm very talented. Um, I think I'm one of the better physical therapists in, in the land, but I don't know crap about marketing. I barely understood metrics, systems, processes, understanding how to properly communicate, engage people. Yeah. I really didn't know that. I just knew how to take care of a person that was in pain. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to learn and I'm either going to be successful doing it or I'm going to fail. But if I fail, I'll know why I failed. Right now, I have no idea why I'm so darn unhappy. And why do I continue to work more and more hours and take home less and less? Like I couldn't figure it out because I didn't have any really training and basis. So, so it sounds like it's similar to residency. So we go through residency training programs when we're not really taught the business of medicine. And then we are, we leave residency making, you know, 40, 50 to $60,000 a year to then making 200 or $150,000 a year, but not really knowing the business. So who are you? Where do you see the gaps are in physical therapy training? Are they well, are there business programs and are they doing anything to help that process? The answer is not really. Yeah. Um, I reached out in Maryland. I went to the University of Maryland. I reached out, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I went to the person who I knew, the, the, the director that ran the whole program, University of Maryland School of Medicine. And she goes, Jamie, they're busy enough. They got, they got enough on their plate. They don't, they don't need you. I go, well, I'm willing to go there on my own dime after hours 
And whoever wants to show up, I can share a little bit about business in case they're interested in that and all that. She said, no. So they said no to you providing some of that business help in their school free of charge. Or were you going to charge them? Free of charge, after hours, (laughs) whoever wants to show, I'll just go down there. It's like an hour away. I'll just share some 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 stories around business, give them some you know perspective, answer any questions they have. She flat out said no. Well, and did you so, push? Did you push her, or did you? you, didn't, you nope. Said, oh, interesting. Nope. Didn't didn't push it, but it told me everything about the school, the academic world. Their job, and the same job in the medical school, is not to create this amazing doctor. Is not to create this. Ama- Their job is for you to pass the boards. Period. That's the outcome of school. You pass the boards, you're a competent person, you're a licensed therapist, licensed doctor. After that, you want to go into business. That's on you. They don't have time and the resources to teach you all about business. Now, there might be a school here and there in the physical therapy world that might do a little more business. I got I got nothing. Hmm. I got zero. You know, I take that back. I got, if you want to market your business, bring some jelly beans in a container with a sticker on it, bring it to a doctor's office and put it on their counter. That's marketing. Yeah. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, I, I, I try to find, I try to understand that whole concept, but I think a lot of it has to do with them not knowing the business of medicine themselves. So they're afraid to maybe teach it because they really don't know it and they don't want to expose what they don't know. It could be. I don't think it's that. I think there's uh, X, X number of curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to school, the school is rated on, you know, initially it's rated on people who pass the boards. Yeah. Right. I mean, they might rate like a Harvard or something about, you know, the, the, the income our people may compare. I mean, usually like MBAs might do that. I don't know about physicians, but now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to change the schooling system. Yeah. I just realized there was a huge gap between the haves and the have nots, you know, because, you know, I got lots of friends that are physicians and I've worked with uh, physicians before. And it's interesting. You get out of a school and you get out of residency and now you have this kind of social status. You can't live in some broke neighborhood. You can't drive some piece of crap car. So you get out with all these loans. And you have to live in a nice neighborhood and you have to drive a decent car and you're a doctor. You have yeah. social status. So I can't tell you how many doctors I know who are just broke, who just have so much debt trying to live this thing. And they try to maybe go in business for themselves. I mean, unless you're able to really make big money being, you know, orthopedist, you know, you know, neurosurgeon, like something where you can make so much more money. But you're making 150, 200, even 250 thousand dollars in most major cities. That's not enough. Not yeah. not compared to what you went through and paid to get there. Well, it so, also depends on the expenses too, right? That you can make that much money, but if you're spending, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year, borrowing money to, you know, again, it's that JP is that social status. Yeah, yeah. Doctor, so, we call it doctoritis. Doctoritis. It's <laughs> it's 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 tough. So. The, the solution is take that entrepreneurial spirit that you have to go into business and learn the business of business. Yes. And what, what I'm seeing right now in, in our field, and I know it's happening in the medical field, because I see it around me, is 
there is no middle class anymore. Mm-hmm. There's there's really the small, small mom and pop that are just basically it's just a job. But anyone slightly bigger that has employees, they're selling out to the big yes. hospital chains. Yes. They, they can't do it. So I'm here to say, look, if you don't want to give up that right, just learn the business. Yeah. You can be profitable. You can be successful and own your time instead of being an employee working for someone else. I can understand if you're in advanced age, you've been around the block, you're like, hey, it's my exit strategy. I get that. But for other people, man, I I think we're just losing that main street, you know, that entrepreneurism and everyone's just selling to the, to the big chains and it's just becoming a commodity. Yeah. So, so who is your demographic? What's your, who are you uh, servicing now in your practice? So we have a couple different, uh, different demographics. Like we, we'll serve the people in that half a million to a million. Um, I call that uh, like a stage two business. That's, that's typically your overwhelmed operator, regardless of, of, of the services you provide. It doesn't matter if you're a medical doctor, mental health, PT, pediatrics. It, it's the, the income level determines the problems you have. Yeah. So if you're in that half a million to a million dollars in total revenue, you're still treating, you're still delivering care, but you also have a staff. So you're also doing that, but then you're also trying to run this business and run yeah. the staff. And we, I, I, I nicknamed it the overwhelmed operator because you're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. When you get to that million, $3 million range, you start to put in a team in place. You start to have some management people in place. You're able to leverage your time, maybe get out of patient care totally or somewhat. Um, so the more money you're making, as long as you're organizing your business properly. So we, we work in that realm. I have, I have several clients like, you know, between that three to $5 million, even a little bit more, but our wheelhouse is probably that half a million to two and a half, $3 million range. So you're not starting, you're not helping new PTs come out and setting, setting up businesses, or do you see that happening? I, I do help some new PTs. We, we do have people, you know, between that zero and, and four or 500,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the kind of person that we're going to help you set up everything. Like we're going to set up your LLC. We're going to do that. Just take a course that says, here's a checklist of setting up. That's not really our, our target. I want people that are already in business. They've already taken that leap of faith. They already have that courage to say, you know what? I opened my doors, not I'm going to open my doors. Yeah. Um, Cause that tells me a lot about the, the risk and, and, and the fact that they really are, putting their money where their mouth is. We then can help them grow. Too many people I've talked to, they keep thinking about it, like getting ready to get ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's, there's other programs and courses that can get you started, but there's not many that can take you and then multiply your business you know, exponentially. Yeah. So of the, let's say 100 PTs graduate, out of that 100, how many are going into private practice versus you know, these big chains? Uh, uh, just uh, off the question. top of I think there might be 20, 20 30,000 private practitioners out there um, out of maybe three, 400,000 therapists total. So, so, so 10, it's a pretty 10%? small percentage so 10%, in the private 20%. practice world. Less than 20% then. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. A lot less than 20%. So, th- so this is a niche. I mean, this is going to be a niche a market for yeah, you I mean, your, to... your, your demographic of, of, of physical therapists. I, I still think it's like maybe 70% female, 30% male. Okay. Um, I would say 
you know, less than 10% are, are going really into private practice. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm guessing it's some of these numbers, yeah, yeah. but just from what I remember. So you're, you're not talking about a ton of that entrepreneurial minded people going into private practice. Mm-hmm. Most of them will work in outpatient or hospital or yeah, pediatrics or some other discipline. So I, I, I recognize on your website, there's five things that I saw on, on your site that, that you kind of focus on and um, it looks like five pillars. So I want to know if you can go through each of those and, and kind of help our audience understand how you tackle each of them. I think one is generate endless referrals. I think we all can benefit from that as practicing physicians, uh, creating an, an amazing experience. And that I think is just to relating with patients. And that's what I kind of do and help, help with my patient population, hire the right people, um, solid team, and then creating financial clarity. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the financial clarity. So how do you generate, how do you help PTs generate endless referrals? So look, marketing is always based on relationship. You know, in our program, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not the most creative person in the world sometimes. So I just call it relationship marketing. Mm-hmm. So marketing is about relationships. Now, whether relationships in person, like we're doing or over zoom, or relationships through, you know, social media. It's all about connecting with other people. So if you want to create endless referrals, develop deep, authentic relationships with people, um, whether it's word of mouth, whether it's, uh, you know, out there in, in, in the world of, of social or connecting with other um, specialists that have influence over your target audience. Uh, yes, you can also connect with, you know, um, different uh, platforms or, or, or different, uh, um, you know, insurance contracts. And, you know, if that's, if that's what you want. So it's, it's really getting clear and identifying, well, who is your target audience? Who is your ideal, uh, client or patient? And, you know, who has influence? We, 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 we talk about, you know, who do they see before they see you? Yeah. Now, if you really think about that statement, who does your client see before they see you? Yeah. So in, in our world of physical therapy, hey, they may see a, a doc, they may see an orthopedist, uh, they may see a family practitioner, may see a podiatrist, but you know they may see uh, a trainer or a coach or mm-hmm. or or someone else in, in in the school system if you're working with young athletes. So it's about developing that relationship and seeing how you can work together, how you can collaborate together, um, and how you can be an asset to them. Um, too many times people are going into these relationships as in begging people and saying, what can you do for me? People are tired of that. People are tired of people just keep, you know, pitching them and pitching them and saying, you know, please, well, please send me people, send me people instead of developing a relationship that can last through the years. I mean, there's, there's some people I develop relationships in the medical community. I'm still good friends with them now, 20 years ago. And I sold my practice in 2016. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's what happens when you're really looking to create good, solid relationships versus just a transaction. Great. Um, creating an amazing experience. How do you, how do you create that? Experience is not just about you being nice to your patients. Experience goes much greater than that. Experience is looking at your business from your patient's perspective and you determining what kind of engagement and experience do you want them all the way through. So the minute they become connected with you, 
What is the experience they're having with your company, with your practice, with your staff? Um, what happens when they call your, they call your practice? Are they on hold forever? Do they call and have to get called back? Do they ever get called back? Like you get to design this experience for them. So there are certain key areas of any patient engagement, um, a cycle. Um, one is the first time they interact with you, wherever that is. It could be calling your office, could be, uh, you know, signing up online for an appointment, however you have that initial interaction. The other is that initial, um, evaluation or the first time they come in. So don't just leave it up to happenstance. Create that experience. Yeah. Create how you're going to interact, how you're going to engage with them. Uh, people love to know what's expected of them. People love to know what uh, is going to happen. Do we do that for them? Or do we just say, all right, we'll see you on you know, Tuesday at 12 o'clock? Yeah. 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 It's you know, so right. Do we send them a follow up email? You know, technology allows us to have much more engagement, but have that whole process automated. But to the end user, to that patient, it's so genuine because you can make your your communications and your emails and stuff very genuine. Um, so, you know, looking at um, when they come back, if they're coming back again to your clinic, if you have something where they're seeing a few times in, in therapy, they're usually seeing, you know, eight, yeah. 10, 12 times. So um, are we checking in with them? You know, how are things going? Um, and addressing if they're having any issues. And then the other big uh, experience is discharge. And I know some docs, you're not necessarily discharging them, but you may kind of complete an episode of care. So um, checking in with, you know, how is your experience? Uh, if their experience is good, when they're at emotional high, you want to ask them for a review. Hey, would you mind, you know, leaving us a favorable review on Google or wherever you want them to leave a review? It's also a great time if they're, if they've had a good experience to ask for a referral. It's okay to ask for a referral. Yeah, yeah. Some people are scared to death to ask for a referral. Well, if you're giving crappy care and, it's, and you suck, I probably wouldn't ask for a referral. <laughs> but if you're, if you're giving great care and you deliver a great experience to someone, don't you think they probably know someone else? Yep. And if you think that they're just going to remember you out of the 50 million things that are on their plate and their mind and their, advertisements that are coming, you need to cut through the noise and say, Hey, if you, if you really enjoyed our experience and you know, someone else, I'd love to try to help them. And you can do this again in, in an automated way and using technology and some things out there. Yeah. So it, it makes perfect creating, sense. Also, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I don't mean to interrupt, but you know, just, just hearing you say that uh, speaks to remaining relational because if you start to do that you relate to them in a way where you are feeling that you can you've helped them and you can help their friends you can help their family members they're going to reciprocate that they're going to want their family members to experience that and so that's that's part of the endless referrals you can have an endless amount of referrals if you continue to remain relational and continue to communicate with them endless and jp this isn't an accident People that get referrals, it's designed that way. So when you start looking at your business, get out of the weeds of it from you as a, as a, as a clinician. When you start looking at your business in a 
and an experience that people are having every step of way, like a fancy restaurant. You go to a fancy restaurant, high-end restaurant, that's a very different experience than you you go to Applebee's, yeah. right? I don't want to make fun of Applebee's. I know down in Florida where you are, they got tons of Applebee's. Yeah, yeah. They got some here too. Now, but there's a difference if you're going to a five-star restaurant. There's no accident from the decor, from how they interact with you. Obviously, the food is good. We think just because you have good food, just because you deliver great care, there's so many other aspects that people are judging their experience by. If we just take some thought and actually implement that, it doesn't take like a ton of money to do this. It just takes an intention to do it and an understanding how to do it. That separates you from any other place out there. So big, big pillar, big point is, is creating a great experience for people. That's great. Uh, hiring the right people. I know it's tough in this crazy COVID, post-COVID age. Look, you know. How, how do you hire the right people? How do you find them? Hiring is marketing. Right. When I when I share these stories with people and teach and teach our clients and people about hiring, hiring is marketing. You have to look at the people as in who is your ideal hire. Right. What are what are some of the challenges and concerns and worries that they have? Right. Putting yourself in their position, Mm -hmm. not in our position. Right. We can we can question people all day long. Why why are these young people getting out of school? They just don't want to work. They just want to have all this time off and, and show up when they want to, but get paid a fortune. Like, like if, if that's what you think, you're not going to attract, you know, good people. So um, understanding what their uh, what their concerns are. And then our job is to provide the solution. So if they work for you, how are you going to help them solve their problems? It's the same way we market yeah. to patients. patients yeah. We have to look at our potential candidates and and future team members the same way we have to look at it as how are we going to meet their needs in today's world how are we going to solve them if they if they're inundated with just just unbelievable amounts of debt how are you addressing that do you have tuition reimbursement um do you have a, a way to grow in the company and make more money do you have special projects do you have um, pay for performance compensation plans? Like, how are you addressing it? You can't just say, well, that's ridiculous. They're asking for too much because you're losing an entire group of people that you could potentially help. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are looking for advancement. They're looking for mentorship. They're looking for, you know, um, professional growth. Mm-hmm. Those things aren't necessarily very expensive. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I believe at least the really good people out there, I believe they want to be paid fairly and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to spend a ton of money to do it. So this is what goes into your job ad. This is what goes into the experience of hiring. This is what people are making decisions based about. They're making it about the emotional connection that's happening, not just the left brain, give me the most money. Mm-hmm. So again, we talked about the patient experience. What is the hiring and candidate experience that you're providing? You put a little thought into it. You add in some different things. You can attract better people uh, and hire better people. I've seen it so many darn times 
even just by tweaking your ad a little bit, yeah. you can attract a better person rather than just looking like everybody else. Thanks for that. That's uh, actually really, really good advice. Uh, so financial clarity, how do you create that in, in uh, a healthcare provider who's drawing well, I think debt? I think financial clarity comes with you understanding the business of your business. Mm-hmm. You know, what's a P&L statement? What's... Um, you know, what's, what are your key metrics? What are key metric performance indicators? What are lead indicators? What are lag indicators? Like get out of the clinical world. Like as clinicians, we operate on metrics a lot. You know, we look at, you know, uh, give me a whole blood workup. What are we looking at? We're looking at objective measures. Yeah. Why? Because if we just based everything on subjective, we can get into a lot of trouble with that. Well, your business needs to be much more objective. We need to know what is the financial health of your business? What is the operational health of your business? What is the marketing health of your business? By looking at these, specifically these three areas, marketing, operations, and, and financials, we need to get um, ourselves you know, accustomed. We don't need to love it, right? I'm never going to say I love it, but we need to take responsibility because if we don't know that, then we're just abdicating that responsibility to someone else and hoping and praying they care about those numbers as much as we do. So we need to, we need to learn about those things so we can then create targets and expectations um, and know the financial health of our business within two minutes. Yeah. This is how I was able to remove myself from the day-to-day aspects of my business because I could press a button and I could see a report on every aspect of my business. I knew what was going on. I didn't have to be there looking over anyone's shoulder. So that helps me sleep at night. I knew what was happening. I knew what the business was doing next week or next month because I saw indicators that were showing me referrals that were coming in and, 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 and how many were turning into different uh, plan of cares and, and stuff like that. So just getting yourself really um, in a place of understanding the metrics of your business, understanding just the financial, basic financials, like balance sheets and P&L statements. Yep. I think too many of us don't know about it and we struggle financially. You just have to know some basics and then surround yourself with some really smart people. Yeah, that's good advice. Now, do you, do you still have a practice or you're just doing coaching now? No, I sold my, uh, I sold my practice. I had about a million and a half dollar revenue, a couple location practice in Maryland and sold it in 2016. Um, Walked away immediately. You know, most people sell their practice. They want you to stay on for two, three years. Um, I told them, you don't want me to stay on because (laughs) the business was running with really good people and really good systems. I didn't do anything day in, day out. So why would you need me there? And they had the other stuff of the business. They had other management and smart people. So when you run a business, when you create a business like this, not only does it give you a great life now and gives you financials and control over your time, if and when you sell, I mean, you're going to sell at some point, but when, when you exit your business, it's going to be worth a lot more. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did in 2016 and just went full, full time into, into creating coaching, which again, I still have lots of time and free time on my schedule for coaching and that's awesome. created a very similar business model, actually. Do you have a coach? Of course. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. I've had a coach since 
I don't know, 2000, 2004. Uh, when my place burned down, I got my first coach and started investing a lot. And now my recent coach, I've had him for about five years now. What's interesting because most of what I learned from in business came outside of the medical field. Like 85% of what I've learned came from financial, just business. Yeah. And I applied it and adapted into the medical world of how to use what these MBAs are talking about. How do I make it just real and practical in our world? So how, how often are you meeting with your coach? Cause uh, I also had a coach recently and, you know, kind of separated a little bit and I'm, I'm thinking maybe I need to be tweaked again. Uh, how often are you meeting with your coach? With my coach, uh, we meet every two weeks. Every two weeks. Okay. So I, I do, I do executive coaching, um, with him and we meet every two weeks and it's, um, for a while it was a little rough, you know, when you're meeting and you're, you got a lot of stuff going on. And I mean, things are like in the moment, there's, there's some heated stuff going on. And, um, now I'm in a place where, you know, we're having great calls and Mm -hmm. as long as you continue to have a bigger future, you need a coach. Yeah. Right. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the enemy of thriving is arriving. Entrepreneurs, true entrepreneurs never arrive. This is all a journey and the journey is the most fun part. All we're doing is focusing on the next milestone that we want to hit and impacting the next group of people we want to hit. That's what it is for me in this world. It's just impacting people that are just helping the world. Mm -hmm. But the best way you can help the world is make sure you take care of you and yourself, you know, financially, emotionally, physically, and all that stuff, because you'll be better for your team, better for your patients and better for your community. So in order to do that, we need to to, to walk the talk. Too many people out there ain't walking the talk. And you can tell right away. You can, you can tell if they're just not the authentic, genuine person, but I, I know you are. And I appreciate and, that. And these are the people we want to connect with. Absolutely. And I thank you for connecting uh, because this is a, this is more than I thought we would be talking about and, and encouraging. And this is, this is awesome. So uh, I've been doing these rapid fire questions uh, for uh, audiences and uh, it's been fun. Um, some things, uh, uh, <laughs> get, get, get some water there. <laughs> so, uh, we like to ask a couple questions, one word answers or a phrase answer, um, just to kind of hear where your mindset is and, uh, your thoughts and make it a little fun. So ready? All right. It's favorite vacation spot. Um, Turks and Caicos. Ooh, I've been there. Last book you read? Um, How to Buy Back Time by Dan Martell. Favorite sport? Basketball. Hmm. What do you want? What did you want to do when you were younger, as a child? Real, real younger, be a fireman. Fireman? Did you? Were you ever a fireman? No, not even close. (laughs) But it's interesting. My son's a volunteer firefighter. That's cool. You ever go into the station with him? Um, one time I went in. Yeah. He was he was Santa one time. It was great. It, it, the fire people come through our neighborhood and lights are flashed and everything. And uh, uh, two years ago, he got to be the Santa on top of it. It was hilarious. <laughs> All right. Your uh, favorite spiritual practice? Um, spiritual practice. I um, I do a fair amount of meditation. What time do you wake up? 
5.52 a.m. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I was curious, but I'm not going to ask because I've got a couple more, a couple more questions. Um, who's going to be the next president of the U.S.? <laughs> um, one of my favorite movies is Brewster's Millions with uh, Richard Pryor. In the movie, he had the little box that said, none of the above. <laughs> my hope is none of the above, but... <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, one thing your wife really loves about you. Uh, sense of humor. One thing you would do if you had a billion dollars. Figure out ways to impact even more people. Great answer. Uh, something about you that your team members don't know. One thing that they don't really know about you. Um, I'm just a hip hop guy. Love my hip hop. And I grew up on all the hip hop stuff. <laughs> and I could dance. Really? Not so much anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was the guy you brought to the party that just randomly went out there and just started popping and locking and doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff. We got to get some pictures. Of that. Maybe we can add that to the end of this uh, podcast. Here, this video. And, and it, it is true that I, I did wear mustard yellow checkered skids, black shirt, chain, and a clock to more than one party. Oh, and it wow. wasn't a dress up party. <laughs> <laughs> Public Enemy was yeah. uh, one of my favorite groups as well. So. <laughs> so, it was one of my favorite, one of my first concerts, actually. My first concert was a Public Enemy. Public Enemy. Public enemy. I, I, I guarantee it was Public Enemy, Run DMC. Run DMC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was at the, the Spectrum. The 80s, yeah, late 80s. Uh, it was at the, uh, mine was at the Spectrum in 88, 89. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie's been awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, we started doing video podcasts, so this is going to be a video podcast. If you want to see this video, uh, it's on uh, YouTube, Spotify, and um, it's on every single, single app that you listen to your podcast on. So share it with your friends. And uh, we really thank you, Jamie, for, uh, for uh, participating and uh, having this discussion about uh, physical therapy businesses and coaching. Oh, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it, Jamie. Thank you.